Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I spend a lot of time thinking about inclusion. Most of this energy is spent coming up with ways to explain inclusive education clearly and succinctly so that everyone understands what it is and why it's essential. Because to me, it's one of the most crucial things that we can do for our students, disabled or non-disabled. And here's the challenge. You probably already have thoughts and opinions about inclusion. Maybe you have already decided that the challenges that your child or students have would not be appropriate in a general education classroom. Perhaps you have a notion that inclusion is good, but you don't know what it looks like or how to even advocate for it. Or maybe you're all in for inclusive education and want your child or student in general education 100% of the time, all day, every day. In all these scenarios, we need to take a step back and see the larger picture of how inclusive education fits in our educational system. When I started as a special education teacher in 2003, I worked in what was called a special day class. In Pasadena, California, with the majestic San Gabriel Mountains outside my window, I taught my heart out for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students with labels of moderate to severe autism. I was still going to school at the time because in California, you could be hired as a special education teacher with a provisional teaching certificate. My teaching program promoted inclusive practices, and this meant that it covered models like co-teaching, where special and general education teachers would work in the same classroom, or uh, special ed teachers would collaborate with general ed teachers, and strategies for including students with autism or or other low-incidence disabilities in general education classrooms. I distinctly remember having a discussion with a professor of mine uh, in a a program um, about how they just didn't understand that students with autism needed to be educated with other autistic students. And um, I told her, but my students need to be taught routine 
Uh, how will they learn that in a general education classroom? How can they uh, do the th same things that everyone else can? They can't be held to the same standard or expectations. Instead of debating our philosophies, my professor just gave us an assignment. Pick one student who is educated in a self-contained or segregated classroom and create an inclusion plan. And don't pick an easy one. Pick a student that you would never think could ever tolerate time in a general education classroom, she said. So I thought about it and I had the perfect one. It was Nathan. Not his real name, by the way. And uh, he was a fifth grade student who had limited verbal abilities and engaged in self-injurious behavior. Uh, and he also uh, engaged in verbal stimming, which was extremely disruptive. And when he got angry, he would kick and hit and uh, grab anything next to him. And never in my wildest dreams, I thought that he would be successful in a setting with typically developing peers. I was wrong. The plan included examining the student's interest, communication skills, and adaptive strengths. The idea was to discover who Nathan really was, what he liked, and what he was good at. Next, the plan included planning with the general education teacher a lesson that would take into consideration Nathan's strengths. Despite all of Nathan's communication and sensory issues, he was a wizard with scissors. In fact, this is what his one of one of his favorite things to do. If he wasn't cutting strips of paper or cardboard, he was shredding paper with his hands or picking up leaves outside and crumpling them in front of his eyes so he could see all the minute pieces fall to the ground. The plan began to form. Whatever we were going to have him do, it would involve cutting. After a few more planning sessions, the day finally came and it was time for Nathan and I to walk down the long hallway to the science classroom. The activity was to create a topography map out of cardboard. And luckily for Nathan, there was a whole bunch of cardboard to be cut out for this activity. And as he sat at the desk in the classroom with 35 of his peers, I was astounded at how calm and focused he was cutting to his heart's content. His task was meaningful, age appropriate, and for 45 minutes in that science class, he belonged. Did that one activity set Nathan on a path to full inclusion? No, it didn't. But what it did do was set me on a way of believing that any student could be successful when certain conditions were present. Nathan was a turning point for me, and I looked for more ways to include my students at my school. The other teachers at my school, as well as my paraprofessionals, saw the success and bought into my vision. It was like a religious conversion and I had been baptized in the church of inclusion. That is how I feel when I'm talking to people about why inclusion matters. Over the years, I have become an evangelist of sorts. But this experience wasn't enough for the educators at my school or for me. My students were still segregated despite my efforts to increase their time with peers and joining their peers in recess and lunch, going to assemblies or the occasional visit to a general education classroom just didn't seem like enough. And I wanted to know why I couldn't include all of my students all the time. I came to work with a cognitive dissonance that I was doing what I loved, but just in the wrong location. 
a segregated classroom. But then I realized that I wasn't thinking big enough. Through talking to other teachers who were passionate about inclusion, another vision of inclusive education began to form. Inclusion is not about physical proximity. It is about planning for the success of all students. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about an aspect of what makes inclusive education successful, and that is modifying curriculum. And for my students back in Pasadena, you know, according to their IEP, the team agreed that modifying their curriculum was the best way for them to access it. Um, and essentially, by modifying curriculum, it means to take part of the standard and then modify it down to where they're able to meaningfully participate in it. I talk with Juanita Pritchard, an intellectual disability specialist, about how we can do this for our students who require a modified curriculum. Also, I want to share a resource before we get into the interview. Um, there's a book called Inclusion in Action by Nicole Eredix which gives specific strategies on how to modify curriculum for students who are in general education. And I know a lot of educators who are put into this position where they receive no training on how to do this. And while my interview with Juanita will give you a nice overview of what to look for and, um, and how to think about modifying, uh, Nicole's book really breaks it down for you and I highly suggest uh, that you go and get that as a resource. So either for you who may be an educator who is in that position or for other uh, for people you know who are in that position, uh, this resource is excellent and could benefit you. So after a short break, my interview with Juanita Pritchard. Hi, I'm Juanita Pritchard, and you're listening to the Think Inclusive I'd like to welcome Juanita Pritchard to the Think Inclusive podcast. Juanita, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. Glad to do it. Well, let's jump right in. Juanita, you and I have had um, um, a professional relationship over the last few years, uh, working together and collaborating and, and um, other things like that. Um, but I'd like for you to explain to our listeners what um, it kind of, I'd like for you to explain to our listeners the role that you had as an intellectual disability, uh, intellectual disability specialist. So what is an intellectual disability special? Uh, what is an intellectual disability specialist? Um, that's a good question. In my case, um, I had a very unique skill set that enabled me to support um, teachers who had classrooms with students with intellectual disabilities. Um, and so they gave me the title specialist because I could combine my background as a classroom teacher 
community-based instructor, assistive technology specialist, um, into being able to support those teachers in their classrooms. I did primarily um, instruction, curriculum, and materials, um, helping teachers keep up with the research and keep up with the materials. And in the position I last had, I was also responsible for um, helping uh, with budget and supplying the materials in those classrooms. I'm now retired, uh, but that's what I did as an intellectual disability specialist. Okay. And did you, as in that role, did you ever support students who were not necessarily in a self-contained classroom but were pushed out into general education environments? Uh, yes. Yes. If that was part of the IEP process where those students were um, included in my job as an intellectual disability specialist, I did not have the opportunity um, to support many students who were in full inclusion, but there were a number who were included for specific subject areas. Did you find, um, let me ask this a different way. Um, in your experience as a intellectual disability specialist, did you see the trend of students with intellectual disabilities being pushed into inclusive environments grow or has it been, has it stayed the same over the last, however many years you've been in uh, an educator? Well, initially it grew because I started teaching in 1977, which was the first year of public law, 94-142. So I've seen a lot of trends mm -hmm. uh, come and go through the years. And so initially there was never any inclusion so I did see it grow, uh, but in the last um, maybe five to ten years, I've seen it stay pretty stable. Um, it, it hasn't really grown the way I thought it would. Um, yeah, you would think that the you would think that the uh, I guess the the number of students or the percentage of students being pushed into general education environments would have increased over the last 10 years. Why do you think that that it hasn't? Well, I think um, over the last 10 years, we had a huge uh, economic downfall. And I think that had a pretty big impact in that school systems could not, um, couldn't, couldn't provide the physical support, the staff to support inclusion um, I think some of the grants that initially were supportive dried up. I think I think the economics had a, a big impact. But I also think at the same time, we've had a bigger focus on standardized testing um, for the gen ed students as well as the special ed students. Um, and I think those two things combined have really impacted um, some of the more innovative projects. Hmm. What do you see... Um, I know we're jumping around, Juanita, but I think it's just the the nature of the how the conversation's going. But um, what do you see as the future of inclusion and special education? You know, it's to me, it's very uncertain. Um, I tried to think of that, you know, before this conversation, and um, 
the problem is we seem to sort of be at a stalemate in education right now. Uh, I think there's been so many innovations, so many things being pushed in and tried and testing being so high stakes now um, that I think, I, I think people aren't really pushing inclusion like they were. Um, I think that if parents um, kind of come together and um, that's where the, that's where it's going to happen is if parents come together and say, this is what we think is the best thing for our students our children, then I think it will happen. I don't think at this point in time it's going to come from the educational program itself. Um, that's interesting. It's interesting that you say that because, um, as you know, coming from educator perspective, I've often thought that being able to make change within a system, from within a system, um, could be effective, but in your experience, um, have you ever seen that as a viable option? Have you ever seen change happen, whether it was, you know, you personally or something that you've observed, has change ever really come from within a system? Um, I'm trying to think of how to answer this positively. Um, <laughs> not as much as I not as much as I would like. I am a person who who is a lifelong learner. Um, I, as a teacher, like to respond to the the what research was showing, what seemed to be you know best practice for students, what was good for the students. But the reality that I've experienced through the years is that. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Um, occasionally, you get the right chemistry between administration and a teacher so that that can happen. But it seems like today everybody is paddling as hard as they can, and innovation doesn't happen very much anymore unless it's pushed from an outside force. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's talk about... Let's talk about the advice um, for teachers because, like you said, whether you know whether the trend is going up or down, um, there are there are right now students all across the country that have intellectual disabilities and for whatever reason are included in um, typically co-teaching environments or environments where there's additional support. So, yeah. um, and many teachers don't know how to support those, those students with, um, with intellectual disabilities. And, um, I remember as an educator wanting to find resources and knowing kind of where to turn to, to get information on how to serve students in, in, uh, those types of environments. Um, what advice would you give teachers who have found themselves in a situation, whether it's because of parent advocacy or because of a legal situation, um, where they are they are having to either modify curriculum or um, serve students with intellectual disabilities in their classroom? What advice would you give them on how to best serve uh, 
those students? Um, well, I think the very first thing that a teacher has to do is know what the expectations are. Um, what is it that, that the educational team wants that student to accomplish? Um, sometimes students are included strictly for social reasons, um, and other times there's um, specific IEP re reasons, and people forget that that's just a place. That's not a reason. Um, so what is it you want from the student, and how will you know they got there? Um, the IEP is the first place to start if they're there because of an IEP, because that's the legal um, spot. But in terms of adapting materials, um, what are the students' strengths? What do they need to succeed? And usually, my experience with a student with intellectual disabilities in a, in a gen ed classroom, the teachers don't understand how it can look different for that student. But they want somehow to make it the same as everybody else. So the first step is, what's going to be different for this student? Um, do they need visual support? Um, if we're going to learn 10 states, maybe they're going to learn one. Uh, there has, it has to be okay for it to look different, and then it has to be how does that look. That's the first place to start. Mm -hmm. After, um, the other thing, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Was, was, the other thing is that, in general, students with intellectual disabilities often have communication issues of some kind. Even if they're verbal, their communication skills are below their peers. And so that has to be factored in um, to instruction. Um, they're not just going to miraculously one day come in and, and, you know, be answering questions in full sentences. There has to be that support. And I think that gen ed teachers, because they don't have training in that area, um, that's where they probably need a lot of support, and you know, hopefully, the speech therapist would be someone who could help um, with those issues. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that a, a, and the SLP would be able to support them in the communication. So, um, anything else as as far as uh, next steps? So, you know, we've talked about what the expectations are for the student. Um, if things need to be looked different, look different, how, how can that, how can that teacher do that? And then uh, focus on communication. Is there anything else that, um, that a teacher should consider? Well, usually when I'm working with a teacher in that situation, I recommend that they come up with, um, I call them templates. Um, some way that you want to present the material and have the student respond. Um, and if you can come up with three to five templates, um, maybe for an example, I might show the student a picture and have him pick out sentence strips that describe the picture. And if that template works for that student, then every new concept that I do, I will do that template with that student. So that if you have three to five, you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. You can just plug your gen ed student material into that template, and that gives the student plenty of repetition, and it cuts down on the amount of work the teacher has to do 
in providing materials. Sure. So you have a, so you ha it's like a response template, right? You have, yeah. okay. So, so you are giving the structure to how you want the student to respond to the content. And then you, you deliver the content that way. And then the student learns the structure so that no matter what content you put in, the, the student has, a, um, doesn't have to come up with new ways of, accessing the content it's just it's just there absolutely and that research shows us that, that benefits the student but it also greatly can benefit the teacher in cutting down you know the amount of time they have to spend in adapting materials right right have, have you come across um, either it you know, while you were working in the schools and or now that you're more of a consultant role, did you ever come across families or IEPs where you had a student uh, included uh, that ha that has an intellectual disability, but um, the teams were not allowed to modify curriculum? I haven't had that experience. Um, I have had the experience where the teams, um, I don't want to say don't want to adapt, but don't understand why it has to be adapted. Uh, sort of the concept of, well, if they, if they're, if they can't do the work, they shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I've never, I've never been in a situation, um, because if the IEP says it has to be adapted, then and it has to be adapted. Right. I, I, haven't, I haven't experienced that. <clears throat> um, that's just, it's just something that I wanted to ask uh, from your personal experience because um, just out of curiosity. Well, let's just, let's just say that. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, okay. I can see, I can see it happening, but I haven't experienced that because, you know, Hopefully, you've got an IEP team who's going to say, okay, if we're going to do this, it's going to require adapting. Right, right. There there were some, I guess, um, hypothetical situations that, um, that had been brought up. Um, and as far as on the parent advocacy side, as a strategy of how to of how to set up inclusion for a student with an intellectual disability or that maybe was, you know, not at the, at that nine year range and, and their eligibility was SDD. So, yeah. um, so the, the team wouldn't want to, um, say that they needed a modified curriculum. You see where I'm going? Right. Right. So well, I think, in that situation, I think your data would be the important part. You know, even if you just looked at the RTI process and how that goes, you know, more more accommodations as opposed to modifications. Um, I can see that. Where I have seen a problem is at high school. Um, in the courses that um, there there are teachers in certain courses that will not modified because they say if you get this course number it certifies a specific um, skill level more the vocational 
uh, technology kind of courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even some of the academic courses. Um, and when we used to have different in Georgia, we had different course numbers for the, for if you took a, a biology class with uh, modifications, then you got a different course number. You could be in that same classroom, but you, your transcript didn't show that. And with that not being an option in Georgia anymore, that I have seen high school teachers not willing to make modifications. Um, but in those cases, generally it was resolved by just moving them to another course that was, was more accommodating. Why, why don't you tell us where people can find uh, any materials that you've made? Well, I have a Teachers Pay Teacher store, and the name of the store is Wise Dragon Education Support. Um, I also have a Facebook page that is the same name, Wise Dragon Education Support. Um, and my materials are geared towards middle and high school students because those are the Students who there just aren't materials. Everything is very um, babyish, uh, very elementary looking, and um, so I'm focusing on um, age respectful materials and age respectful topics, um, particularly for students that are at emerging reading levels. I have some adapted text and some adapted writing activities. Um, I try to include a lot of freebies for the teachers to try materials out first. Um, but I uh, have a lot of social skills in the workplace activities. Oh, okay. So I didn't invite to visit the store that wants to. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. If you would like to hear the entire unedited recording of my interview with Juanita Pritchard, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. Follow the Think Inclusive podcast on the web at thinkinclusive.us. Tell us what you thought of the podcast via Twitter at inclusive underscore pod or find us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. We'd love to know that you're listening. Also a reminder that you can support the Think Inclusive podcast via Patreon or anchor.fm with a monthly contribution so that we can continue to bring you in-depth interviews with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. On that note, thank you to Patreons Donna L., Kathleen T., and Veronica E. for their continued support of the podcast, as well as our new $1 a month Patreons. Every little bit helps. Also, a special shout-out to my producer and love of my life, Brianna. Thanks to my boys, you know who you are for your feedback and suggestions. It's greatly appreciated. Next time on the Think Inclusive podcast. So I feel like it's our obligation as educators to build our capacity to be inclusive. We don't need to build our capacity to be segregated. We know how to do that very, very well. Thanks for your time and attention. See you next time. This has been a production of Think Inclusive LLC. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.